Welcome to a message from Oasis Church. For more information about Oasis Church and how you can get connected, please visit MyOasisChurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Good morning. Say hello to your neighbor. Tell him you look better than last week. (laughs) Praise God, you can be seated. Hallelujah. There was a there was a story uh, in America. It's a real story. Uh, in the seven, I think, seventeen hundreds, uh, there was a a guy in Italy. His name was Antonio Stradivari. Uh, he, in his lifetime, he produced nine hundred and so nine, a little bit over nine hundred uh, violins. And in the beginning, they was. Uh, they was good, but on the end of his life, they was amazing. If you buy a Stradivari today, you have to pay at least a million dollars. And I heard that uh, the auction house Christie's in London, they uh, sold one time a Stradivari for 44 million. That was the bidding, the asking price. And so there was a lady here in America, uh, she had a Stradivari, Probably not the real expensive one, but and she was a regular person, had a regular house, uh, didn't have a fancy lifestyle, and uh, she liked to move to another house, a little bit smaller, and she asked her children to help her uh, to uh, move her stuff over to the new location, and the children they was not interested. They was more interested in the Stradivari because some, one day they will, they will have this Stradivari and they will sell it and they will become super rich. And so they ignored uh, their mother, they ignored uh, the phone call and everything. And the lady became so offended and upset that she decided one day uh, to burn that Stradivari and make a video from it and send it to their children and saying, here, this is your heritage. I thought that's dumb, right? She should give it to me. (laughs) I know what to do with that. There's a lot of countries I'd like to go and preach the gospel. So, uh, but my point is, this lady became so offended. She was so upset. Uh, it leads her to a stupid thing, to burn that thing. And so this morning I'd like to talk a little bit about offenses because I believe we live in the last days. I believe that Jesus is coming back soon. And I believe we have to be prepared for that. And we also have to do something, prepare uh, the people for his coming. You know, there are so many people, they never heard about Jesus Christ. There are so many uh, countries, they're serving wrong gods, false gods. And, uh, but but if, you, if you are offended, uh, you, you are wounded, and you carry this offense with you, and it probably kills you. You know, so... Um, Jesus was talking about offenses in Luke chapter 17. Pastor, can you read that for me, please? Uh, Verse 1 to 6, Luke 17, verse 1 to 6. Okay, let me find it. 
Luke 17. Luke 17, 1 through 6. Yes. The Bible says, then, then said he unto the disciples, it's impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Amen. Uh, I, I always was wondering what that really mean. First of all, Jesus said it's impossible that offenses will come. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how bad you are, offenses will come. Uh, that, that's it, you know, period. Um, you probably have a neighbor like a grumpy person, you know, like so, and whatever you do, it's never enough. It's never good. You know, offenses will come. The, the only thing we can learn or we, we, the way how we deal with, with offenses makes a difference. Yeah. Um, you know, then the apostles, most of them was very simple people. Fishermen, very simple. They probably uh, uh, used, or if somebody was offending them, they probably used both of their hands to clear that up. Yeah. Uh, but you can't do that. You know, you can't do that today even. It's impossible. You have to deal with offenses in a spiritual way. Sometimes people, they were offending me so much, I, I was ready to beat them. But you can't do that. It's impossible. And so the, the, uh, the, his disciples, they asked him then, and they said, hey, increase our faith. Because what it means is they had no faith uh, for this sycamine tree to, you know, to put in the, in the sea. Um, I was studying a little bit about that sycamine tree. And first of all, and this is like, like a picture. Why is Jesus using that sycamine tree as an example for, uh, or for an offense? First of all, um, sycamine trees in the Middle East grow everywhere, like wheat. Nobody is going uh, for a vacation and said, hey, uh, I put a little bit of wheat, so after I come back from the vacation, I have to do something. In, uh, nobody's doing that. But if you go to a vacation, you come back, you will see the wheat was growing. You even didn't plant it there. So uh, sycamine trees, nobody has to plant them. They are like wheat. And offenses, nobody, it's there. You know, uh, nobody have to, to by, uh, it's going out and say, oh, I will offend anybody, you know. So I offended people. I even didn't know that I offended them. So a sycamine tree, uh, you, you don't plant them. The second one is uh, a sycamine tree survives 
because in, even in the Middle East, because he has a very deep root. Offenses grow where there is no water, no word of God. And the other one is, it has a real deep root. Do you know if you don't deal with offenses and it stays? My wife and I, when we have a little argument, we had in 43 years marriage, one or two, you know. Uh, so we, we have this rule. We talk it out before we go to bed. You know, we talk about this and clear that whole thing up. We don't wait for the next day because we don't like that it becomes a bitter root. And if it's a bitter root, it's real, it goes really, really deep. Next thing is, and I said it again, uh, also again, uh, they grow where there is no word of God, no water. They still grow. They still grow. If you're in a church like this church, where there's a lot of word of God, and you listen to the pastor, uh, it will be hard for somebody to offend you because your pastor teaches about forgiveness. Teaches how to deal with situations like that. Uh, the fifth one is, fourth one is, the fruit of a sycamine tree is very, very bitter. And the fruit of an offense is very, very bitter. Uh, the fifth one is, it will, uh, a sycamine tree becomes pollinated by little insects. They fly from one sycamine tree or from one offense to the next offense, to the next sycamine tree. Sometimes they go from a church to the next church. They take that offense with them, bring it to the next church, bring their bitter attitude with them, bring it to the next church. And that's how they, uh, how they pollinate a sycamine tree or pollinate um, an offense. The sixth one is, uh, it is the most used wood uh, for caskets in the Russian Orthodox Church. And what I'm saying is, you can die wrapped into an offense. You can die. There are people, they haven't talked for 50, 60 years. Brothers, they haven't talked for a long time. And they couldn't work it out, and they died in that. The only thing, the only way, and that's why Jesus is using this uh, picture here, uh, or this example from, from a sycamine tree, the only way how a sycamine tree dies if you take him and you plant him in salt water. Then he will die. And what I'm saying is that's why Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you will speak to that sycamine tree, be removed into the water. Um, you know, you can imagine, uh, when I, uh, growing up in East Germany, um, my grandfather war, uh, was fighting in Adolf Hitler's army. Uh, he came back from uh, from America. He was in a prison, uh, prison of war camp in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, he served there for two years in that prison camp. He came back uh, to Germany on his way back. The British, they took him for another year in a prisoner's camp. And so he came back, and my father, he was a teenager. And, uh, you know, there was a lack of fathers in this country. 
because millions of uh, German men's husbands died in that war. And so there was a fatherless generation. And so when my grandfather came back, uh, he told my father, you have to do better. We was fighting for the wrong people, for the wrong ideology. And of course, the Russians, they occupied East Germany, this zone, and they brought their ideology with them. Communism. Communism is a bad thing. It started 1917. The founders was two philosophers, uh, two Germans, sorry about that, but uh, two Germans, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. And uh, Karl Marx, he wrote his manifesto, uh, and so it became uh, the, I don't, I don't know how, the manual for the Russian leader, Lenin. And so Lenin, the difference between him and Karl Marx, uh, he believed that we have to force the people uh, in order that uh, the society will change and it become a better society. So we have to use force. They started uh, on October, uh, in October 1917, they started to call a so-called uh, October Revolution. And in five years, they killed uh, 55,000 nuns and priests and ministers. In five years, they destroyed, uh, I think it was like 50,000 church buildings. In Moscow, they built a huge circus in the largest cathedral in the city of Moscow. They used it for storages, for salt, or whatever, all the churches. It was illegal to have, in, in that five-year period, they destroyed completely uh, Christianity and this Christian networking. I don't know how to say that better. Uh, in five years, they deported 100 million Christians to uh, Siberian labor camps. And so don't ask me if I communi communism like or not. Yeah. You know, uh, because I believe it is one of the most deceitful, or how do you say that, deceitful? deceitful ideology because it sounds good on the outside but if they use and force you to do something they believe in that everything belongs to everybody everybody's on the same level we take it from the rich and we gave it to the poor i understand and don't get me wrong i totally understand that uh, we as a society we have to take care about people who can take care about themselves. I totally understand that. But I think it's wrong to take what you worked very hard for and uh, tax you like crazy. You know, in Germany, we, I, I work six months for the government and the other six months for myself uh, because our taxes are high. Oh, we have free university. Of course we have free university, but we pay for it. it there's nothing free. And so uh, I grew up in, and I, I tell you, uh, we in Germany, they, they call it, we, we didn't call ourselves a socialist country. Uh, we call it, uh, we have a social economy, but comes pretty close. We have very high taxes, and so some things are good. You know, if somebody uh, become unemployed, you know, they, they take care about you, and I think that's great. But... Uh, it's better to create opportunities for people. It's better to 
make them uh, uh, happy to to work and to do something. You know, uh, when COVID when COVID came to America, that was March uh, 2020. Uh, I I was forced to leave the country because the churches they quit all my meetings, and I was just I think two weeks in America and. So I came from Canada. So, so I came home and I felt, didn't feel well. So I, uh, I thought I got COVID, and uh, th by that time we couldn't test it. So I checked into a hotel uh, before I went home. I said, "Honey, I need to stay in that hotel because I don't like to bring that to you." And so I stayed in that hotel and uh, uh, for two weeks. Then I went home, and I realized uh, the government they shut down all the churches. I, all public life was almost shut down. And so I prayed and I said, Jesus, I have no income now. What shall I do? Somebody came to me and said, you know, the government uh, offer assistance. And I thought, uh, should I take that, Jesus? What do you say? Is it good or is it not good? And, and, uh, and then I heard the voice in my spirit very clear. There's nothing wrong to take some assistance from the government. But why you don't believe, why you didn't trust me? I, I said, Jesus, what do you mean? Trust me. Do your job and see what I do. So I did uh, our service online. I preached, uh, uh, I did our prayer service online too. I did the leadership meeting online. And I visited. Uh, I, I called at least three people or three families every day, every other day. So, but still, uh, with that, it almost killed our church. You know, the the reason for that is uh, a uh, German TV host once said, "TV makes stupid people more stupid, and and smart people more smart." And I realized this is the same with COVID. It made some committed people even more committed and some lazy people even more lazy. So um, I said, Jesus, I will do that. And I did. And on the end of the month, uh, I found an envelope in my mailbox and there was a bunch of uh, 100 euro bills in. It paid my rent. It paid my... That month, paid it off. And then churches starting sending me offerings. I received money from people I even don't know. Because God can take care of you. He can do that. So I'm not against uh, government assistance for people in need. I, I'm against uh, killing the creativity of people and make them lazy. Why should I go to uh, work? Because the government, the check from the government is more than what I, uh, what I earned there in the, that restaurant. Uh, the, the sad thing is it makes you really lazy, and that's actually bad. So uh, back to this, is, this social economy, it's not, uh, is a difference than to communism. Communism is another step away if they force you to do something, if they take something from you. And that's what they did in East Germany. They took the farmland from the farmers and they 
uh, build it like an industrial corporation owned by the state, by the government. And so all the farmers, they didn't have, they have a little garden, by the, but they didn't have farmland anymore. They took the factories. If you had a factory and you owe a factory, they took it away. And you was just, an, the owner was just unemployed. It belonged now to the government. Because they, sometimes government think they can handle economy better than uh, the economists, you know. And that's what we have in almost all the Western countries, you know. Uh, government thinks sometimes they know business better than the real business people. So uh, in Russia, what they did is they gave bread for free to the people. They handed out bread for free. Everybody could have bread as much as they want. You know what the farmers did? They took all the bread and they feed it to the pigs. Because they believed, why should I go to the field and uh, do something if the government gives that for free? This is a human, a human weakness in us. We are selfish. You know, uh, if Maybe you didn't realize that, but this is part of the curse to be selfish. This is in our human DNA, selfish. It has to do with that uh, cursed, uh, or with that curse after the, uh, the sin in the Garden of Eden. Uh, so I grew up in, in this country, and because the Russians, we, we had to pay uh, to Russia so much how do you say it, contribution or or money to because of the war what is that restitution. huh restitution. restitution restitution yes uh we had to pay restitution to the soviet union and so it really our economy couldn't take off so uh if we if you go here to a supermarket you you probably never think about this but probably through covid when all the shelves empty, you know, that's what, wh why was they empty? Because people are selfish, you know? And so when I lived in East Germany, uh, I, I couldn't buy, I didn't have a big cho choice. Uh, oh, should I take this product? They have thousand different ones. Should I take this? In East Germany, I, I had only one, take it or leave. You know, here you have so many choices. And most of the time people complaining, it's still not good enough. America is still a great country, yeah. a blessed country. Yeah. And they, uh, people think uh, they make it better if they do it in a different way or solve some problems in a different way. Do it like the old uh, pilgrims, how yeah. they solve the problems. They dedicated this country to God. You know, um, I, I know what it means to be poor. When I had only a piece of bread and a bottle of milk uh, for one day, I know what it means when you have to go to, uh, uh, to a farmland uh, owned by the government and you steal some fruit because, and some vegetables uh, just to survive. I, I know what it means. So uh, I take, even today... I can't waste food. I can't. Because it's so deep in me, in me. But I learned something with all that hardships. 
I became bitter. A Russian pastor asked me one time, he said, would you come to me, to my church, uh, and preach there? I said, no. He said, why not? Be I said, because I, you Russians, you occupied our country for 40 years. Of course, uh, you, we lost the war, we started the war. That was okay. But I'm, I don't like to see any more Russians. So I offended him. But I was offended so many years, and this bitter root was growing in me. When you be, become, when you, when some people tell you in a communist, in that communist country, we can kill you, and we will never get sued for that. I had two people, they told me that. We can kill you. We have all the power. Nobody will uh, ask about you. In our city, there is a, there is a, um, a house, and in that basement, they was executing people there. So the building in our secret police office building, uh, it had five stores, five floors, but they had three or four in the basement too. Sometime at night you could hear people screaming because they believe they do the right thing, force people to believe the same thing. Um, when I was in school, our school was full of propaganda. Like the schools today, probably here in America, I don't know. Our school books, they was full of propaganda. You know, math, they would say, there on that side, there are 1,000 Russian tanks. Uh, on their side, 1,000 American tanks. Tanks, how many more we need, you know? That was propaganda in school. We had to sing communist songs. Songs uh, where it said, uh, there's no help from God, you know? The Christian kids, they would refuse. They would stand up and say, we don't sing that. This is against our belief. But after that, they they would have an unseen mark on their back. They would never go to university. They would never uh, have a high-paid job. They would, they would never start their own business because they are marked, because they stood up. Uh, when I came uh, to, when I finished school, I became an electrician. And after these two years, uh, I was forced to go to the communist army. I didn't like it. I really didn't like it, but I have to go. There was no other option besides going to prison. And so I don't like to go to prison, so I went to the army. Uh, a few weeks before I went to the army and, and uh, I got a new colleague, young guy, he was different. He was a real believer. He was not afraid about talking about his face, but he was also not goofed up. You know, sometimes you have goofed up people. They, they're running around and telling everybody and stealing their working time from their employer. You know, at work, it's good to let them know you're a Christian, but there's not time there to evangelize. It's your employer's time. He pays, paid you for this. 
And so invite them for a Starbucks after work and then tell them something what you believe. But uh, so two, uh, a few weeks before, he, he talked to me about Jesus. He invited me to his home. We was talking and um, he gave me some Christian material and then I went to the army. The night before I came, came to the army, I was totally drunk. I passed out almost because I hated to go to the army. So they, uh, I came to the army. Uh, it was illegal to have uh, alcohol in the army base. So I smuggled uh, alcohol to, to the army base. I was driving a big truck, and so I put some bottles, put some little, uh, what is it, string, and put it in the gas tank. They were swimming there. And so I smuggled that into into the, I made some little money with that, you know. <laughs> and so I was reading every night the Bible. And I smoked a cigarette and had a glass of vodka. And then reading next chapter, cigarette, next glass, next chapter, cigarette, next glass. And so many times I was, I was reading a lot. And then uh, I was, it, it became known that I was reading the Bible. And one time, the officers, they came in. They checked not every closet. They checked especially my closet. And they found that Bible, and they said, this is anti-communistic material. We have to take it away. And I couldn't argue. The Bible is anti-communistic. I couldn't argue. You know, because, because communism put uh, put their new ideology in the middle of everything and people serve that uh, ideology their higher thing you know we as christians we put god in the middle of everything he's the center of everything if god tells me like you said he can have it all if he talked talk to me and said uh, go live in russia i would go if he would say i go to china i would go i don't care i'm not my own owner I gave it up when I became a Christian. So in that army time, so they took the Bible away and now they treated me like a Christian. Uh, sometimes they came at night and they beat at me. Sometimes uh, they, uh, I had to do the lowest, baddest, unhealthiest jobs in the communist army, but later in life too because I was marked as a Christian. And my, uh, because I, by the time I didn't know I had an aunt in West Germany, uh, when my father married my mother, she had to uh, stop her relationship to her sister in West Germany. And because that was the time of the Cold War, she was married, my aunt was married to a high politician in West Germany, they told her to cut her ties to her sister in East Germany. So these girls, they would never see each other again. And it was the Cold War. Everybody was f fighting this West German against East German or the West Bloc against the East Bloc. So my duty, uh, I, they said, you know, you have no relatives in West Germany. You have to go to the Berlin Wall 
and protect the Berlin Wall. I said, what, what do you mean by protect? Nobody comes to our side because we are so poor. Nobody comes to our side. What, what, what do I have to protect? They said, if someone runs over to West Germany, you have to take your gun and shoot him down. And I said, what is if there is a ch child, uh, child crosses over, shoot him down? Because we have a reason to believe they are enemies of our country. I said, what is there a senior citizen or a lady? Uh, you have to shoot them down. They are our enemies. And I realized how bad that is. If you kill people just to push your ideology, that is wrong. That is wrong. And so uh, I, I said, I, I wouldn't do that. I would not do this. And so I got marked again. And then one day I, I thought I was funny. I made a joke. The officer asked me, what if someone runs during your time, runs over this Berlin Wall or climbed over that wall, what do you do? Right answer, I shoot him down. I said, sir, I hang my gun to the next tree and I run with him. Bad answer. Bad answer. I was immediately, they transported me to that little jail there. They couldn't handle, they couldn't handle, communists, they couldn't handle uh, if somebody stands up against them. You know, uh, I never understood why they hated Christians so much. Why hate atheists? Why they hate us? I think the reason is, first, they didn't understand what we believe. But the second thing is, they real, uh, the devil can't control you. Because you are submitted to a higher authority. They, uh, they can't control you. And that was why they was afraid. When we had an election in our country, East Germany, um, you could, there was only one party you could vote for. They had uh, another one, some on the list, but you actually couldn't vote for them. And our uh, attendance or the, uh, how many people voted for this communist party was al always 99.9%. That was fake elections. It was total fake. So I, I, when I beca uh, became 18 years old and the next election came, uh, I wouldn't go to the election. They asked me, why are you not coming? I said, you know, why should I come? It's only one party. Why should I do that and waste my time? So I got another mark in the back. And that was the most bad, almost the most bad thing if you don't go to an election. They were so offended by that. So the next election came, they came with that little box uh, because I was not coming. So they came at uh, 6 o'clock, there was this election over. So by 4, they came to our apartment. We want that you uh, vote. I said, no, I'm not voting. And so they got so mad. Um, I, my boss and my company, they, they cut my salary. Uh, I got 30% less for the same work than other people because they was mad and I was marked. So the next election came, I was smarter, I went to the zoo. 
and, stay, and stayed there until 6 p.m. The election was over. So what I'm saying is, it is this ideology is really, really bad. And America don't need it. My, my question is, uh, how, how much time do I have? What do you think? Tell, give me a number. Okay, good. All right. Thank you. Um, so when I was reading every day the Bible in, in the, this army camp, something happened to me. Uh, my desires changed. When you read the Bible, your desires changing. And the power of God makes you able to overcome other desires. It's the power of God. You can't deliver yourself. In that army camp, nobody was there who could lay hands on me or cast out the demon, and I probably had a lot of them. Uh, but but the, the Holy Spirit delivered me there. Nobody was teaching. It was judged just by the reading of the Word changed my desires. So I, I stopped smoking, drinking, and I was reading. Now I was addicted to read the Bible. I was reading uh, every day at least five, six to ten chapters every day because I was hungry. You know when you're hungry, you eat. And when you're hungry, I mean, you go to a buffet because there's a lot of food, you know, and uh, they are probably not the best. I'm, I'm talking in a picture, you know, this is an, uh, when you're hungry, you go to a buffet because you can eat so much more and pay only one price. Is a fixed price. So then I was reading in the Bible that God will fulfill all your needs. You know, God can help you, help you to uh, bless you with everything. And I said, Jesus, my biggest need is a girl. Give me a good girl. That's my biggest need. I don't need something else. I'd like to have a good girlfriend. Give me a good one. Don't give me a bad one, a bossy one. Or an ugly one. <laughs> and he gave me a good one. She is not bossy, but she's my second Holy Ghost. If I'm not listening to the first one, she tells me, go in your room and seek his face. You know, why I'm saying this? all this is... I had over the years grown a very bitter root. And I realized I had to get rid of it. I have to deal with that. Because if I don't deal with that, it will cost my health. It will destroy probably your marriage. It will destroy your relationship with your children or other family members. It will destroy friendships. And it can't kill you. So we have to deal with that bitter roots. When I accepted Jesus, I realized uh, there was a time when I had to learn that Jesus is a healer. Because nobody teached us this. I was part of the Lutheran Church. I was part of the Baptist, but they were not teaching that. I was part of the navigator group. Nobody teach that. 
But when I came to the Pentecostal church, and I like Pentecostals, they are crazy. Of course, I know. They are crazy. They're running around, and, but uh, screaming, and whatever they do, you know, I, I don't care as long as it works. You know? I was in that Pentecostal church, and the church was filled with uh, Russian immigrants. They came, actually, there was a German Germans, and they lived there in Russia, but when the communists took over all their property, all their fields, everything, they was going to, to Germany. They came back. And so this Pentecostal church was full of, uh, not full, but uh, probably half of the congregation was Russian immigrants. But they came, they was hungry for God. They came every Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, and they was laying on the fl floor and praying for revival, screaming for revival. And I loved this. So when I found that out, I was also there, 8 o'clock, laying on the floor, did the same what they did. I liked it. The only thing I didn't like was this lady on that side. If I was not praying good enough for, in her thinking, you know, she knocked me with her cane. She hit me. She said, pray louder. <laughs> of course, next Sunday I was over there. But she followed me. That was when she always knocked me. In one way, I'm grateful for that. You know, because, because it helped me uh, to increase my prayer life a little bit better on Sunday morning, you know. <laughs> I loved that church. But uh, one day God spoke to me and said, you need to uh, start an, uh, the first non-denominational church in our country, in East Germany. I've never heard of this. There was two prophets uh, from America. They came to a group of people, and I was invited there, and they had an old barn and they didn't fix that barn from the outside, but they fixed it from the inside. And they made, outside it, it looks like a regular barn. But at, at night, uh, people would come and would go to the inside. Inside it was beautiful made. And uh, they had their services there. And I remember these two prophets, they prophesied and said there is a new uh, wave coming to this country. And they talked about that new churches will rise up. And immediately I knew we will be one of them. And so I prayed and I went to the woods and uh, uh, because I knew later I found out one day my wife, we came home and she said somebody was here in our house. I said, what do you mean? She said, somebody was here. I knew it. Things all looked different. Uh, before when we left, and I knew somebody was here. Later, I found out when I the wall was down, and I could check the uh, secret police files. They had files on every suspicious person, on every pastor, every minister, every Christian. But if a person was a little bit suspicious, they hired somebody, a friend, paid them off, or did something to report about their life to them. So later I found out in the secret police files that they put microphones in our home. That's why I went from this day on when I was going to prayer or prayer, pray about something 
uh, special, I would go to the woods. Uh, as a church, we uh, we couldn't uh, have our prayer service real when we screaming, shouting to God, singing. We couldn't do that in in homes because somebody would report that. And so uh, when I when our when we started our church, um, we had about 50 people, and we had a very small apartment. And I was praying for a, for a house I can remodel, uh, and but it has to be a little bit on the end of the town or a little bit outside, uh, because uh, if you have our meetings inside, uh, they would realize that and somebody would report that. So uh, one day I came to with my wife. Uh, we was walking through uh, a wood area. Uh, on the side of the town, and there was this old beat-up house. And I thought, man, that would be great for the church if we had this. But I had no money. What sh sh could I do? I had no money. And so uh, my wife, she said, that that house would wonderful uh, work for us as a church. Uh, it's far away from all the other houses. It's a nice green area. It's beautiful. Uh, it would be great if we can buy that. So we decided to, uh, and then I, I said, Jesus, how can I take this house? And it was in my, in my spirit, walk around, three, uh, run around seven times, like in Jericho. And I did this. The neighbor lady, or there came with somebody by, they looked like I'm a little bit cuckoo, you know. And so next day I went to the mayor of that town, and I said, uh, hey, Mr. Mayor, I'd like to uh, buy that little house at Speed Up. Uh, can, what do you think? He said, it's not for, uh, for sale, but even if it was, would be for sale, I wouldn't sell it to you. I said, why not? He said, I don't like you. You're a Christian. I said, I have to uh, admit uh, I didn't like you either. <laughs> and so I got another mark. Uh, and so two years went by, and the mayor came to us, knocked on our door, and said, are you still up to, uh, to buy that house there? I prayed every day, every day prayed for that house. It, was, it took a lot of work. It was very beat up. It was, there was uh, water everywhere. In the, uh, it, it was bad. Uh, and so I said, yeah, I would like to do that. He said, uh, how much uh, do you like to, to give for that house? I said, what do you want for it? He said, 5,000. 5,000 was a lot of money in that time. East German currency, it was a lot of money. Uh, I said, no, we can't do that. And he said, you know, I have an offer uh, for 20,000. I could take this. I said, no, sir, I, I don't do that. My wife jumped in and said, we give you 1,800. And she said it with such authority. He said, okay, I take it. But we didn't have the 1,800. <laughs> I said, honey, what are you doing? Uh, on our wedding, somebody from America, uh, yeah, from America gave us an, no, from West Germany, gave us an, uh, a Sony tape recorder 
uh, and radio, you know, and we sold it on the black market for 1,500. I borrowed 300, and so we paid that off, and then month by month we remodeled uh, f uh, that house. I sold that house uh, after a few years ago uh, for 300 times more. Uh, that's the way how G Jesus understands business, you know. So what I'm saying is, there's one, if you don't have this bitter root in you, God will answer much, much quicker your uh, prayers, you know. When I, when I uh, you know, there was a shortage, in East Germany was a shortage on everything. You, whatever it was, name it, there was a shortage on everything. I couldn't buy, when I dated my, my girlfriend by that time, uh, you know, I, I met her in a Lutheran church meeting when I was in the army. The officer, he didn't like me, he gave me the, bad, the baddest haircut, almost no hair. And my girlfriend, by that time, she was sitting in that, in that uh, church building, and I, I asked her, I said, what did you think when you saw my haircut? She said, he's probably a trendsetter. She liked it. And so I hate it. But anyway, uh, you know, I prayed for that girl. She was there in that Lutheran meeting, and, and so I was shy to talk to her. And so... Uh, hardly, I introduced myself a little bit, but I was shy because I don't like to mess it up. Didn't, never dated a church girl, so, and I went back to the army, and I had to, to wait for another, I don't know, seven, eight months. And then I came out of the army, and I met her again. And I said, hey, I know you. She said, yes, and she walked by. <laughs> I said, no, I, I really know you. She said, yeah, I know, and she walked by. And then I had the magic word. I said, I know you from church. And she stopped. So we start talking to each other. She told me what she liked and what she disliked. And I lied a lot. I, I, I said, oh, I like that too. <laughs> I lied. I tell you all. Later I repented and I told you that I lied. But you know, I'd like to get a girl. You, you, you do everything if you like to get her, you know? You do everything. Do you know why, why she didn't like you anymore? Because you didn't act like it in the first days. Quiet in this Presbyterian church here. No, but I'm, I'm seriously, if you have a, tro a troubled marriage and you do the same things what you had in the first day, days or first years, uh, your marriage comes to life. Uh, don't have, hold this bitter fruit, this bitterness uh, in you. Come over it. And you will see your marriage will come back. The love will come back. Uh, the kids, they will love you again. Take that bitterness out. It will kill you. So, there was a shortage on everything. I did one thing that was very bad. There was, you couldn't buy flowers. I don't know why there, there was not enough. You went to, when you went to the store, to a flower shop, you have to 
you have to buy something by 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 noon everything was gone and so i couldn't go and buy it in the morning but i'd like to surprise my girlfriend with some flowers so at night i went to the train station and there was a real public uh, flower field i took a basket and i made a huge basket of flowers i gave it to her and she said oh they are beautiful where did you get that I had no answer for that. But then the, the answer came out, God is a provider. <laughs> you know, sometimes, uh, but I repented later, I'll tell you. I repented later. It was great. She, the, the result was great. She liked it, uh, but I still repented. And I uh, told her that later, too. I, did, I, I should write a book about uh, how I did all the bad things, you know. Uh, we had my son, we, my two sons and my wife and I, we was in a Bible school, an underground Bible school, and my son got sick. There was, no, there was no doctor available, there was no pharmacy, there was nothing, and I even don't know what to do. And so this building was a little bit outside of town. It was owned by the Lutheran Church. And we had our um, underground Bible school there. On a weekend, everybody was uh, out for a wedding. Only my wife, me, and my two sons was in that building. And so I don't know what to do with my son. I prayed for him. But it looked like he was even more in pain. I didn't know what to do. And I, I said, Jesus, increase my faith. I need more faith. You said it here, increase my faith for that. And, you know, faith grows by hearing and hearing and hearing of the word of God. That's how faith cometh. And so what I did is, um, this dean from the Bible school, he was a wonderful man, Lutheran, spirit-filled. Uh, that is very rare. Absolute committed to Christ, great guy. The only thing is the faith movement was pretty new in East Germany, and he was a little suspicious. So he heard some rumors and some bad things. And so uh, the missionaries, they brought all, they smuggled all the material into East Germany, but uh, the dean didn't let us watch this. So that night I thought, I need, I need to increase increased faith. I made a key and I broke into his office. Very bad. I took one of the CDs out. It said healing service. Put it in that, in that VCR, watched it. And I saw Dr. Dufresne. Dr. Dufresne, he took oil and he blessed all the people and they got healed. And I said, Jesus. I ran to the kitchen, took some oil on my hands, touched the screen, touched my son's belly, and he was healed in two minutes, every pain was gone. I, I, I was very happy. Nobody preached about that. and So anyway, I, uh, I wrote a letter to Dr. Dufresne that was about two years before the wall came down. And uh, I, I thanked him, and, but I didn't get an answer. So after the wall came down, I received the secret police files, what they had from my life. 
200 pages. They said there's at least 800, but we don't know where they are. And so they gave me 200 pages, and I saw my letter to Dr. Dufresne in that folder. I saw a prophecy uh, uh, spoken in Hungary uh, about over my life in that secret police folder. I mean, that was 1985. I received that 1990, I think, these secret police folders. So they, I don't know where they got this prophecy from Hungary, but they, they had it. So I wrote a letter to Dr. Dufresne again, and two weeks later I get an answer, and he said, I would like to come to your church. Do you like to have me there? I said, of course. So I called his office. Now we had telephones. No secret police was listening to our phone conversation. Always, when I had a phone call on my workplace, I, uh, I always said, hey, uh, many greetings to the secret service. You need Jesus, guys. You know? <laughs> and so Dr. Dufresne came to our church, and I told him the story, that I, how, how I broke into the dean's office. And Dr. Dufresne loved this. He was laughing. He said, sir, of course for you it's funny, but I had so much condemnation. And he became quiet and he said, I don't think you, uh, do, you should have condemnation. I said, sir, I broke into somebody else's office. He said, I know four guys, they broke into somebody else's roof. And that helped me and delivered me. So he really liked it. What I'm, what I'm saying is, God can turn everything around. The coal mine I was working in became a beautiful lake after the communism closed this coal mine. became a beautiful lake. And they built it apartment buildings. I couldn't even recognize the uh, area anymore. It became so beautiful. Do you know that today, because I didn't develop this bitterness, I owe a an apartment on that lake, my former coal mine, and I can have a cup of espresso on, on that rooftop, and I can spit in the devil's face and curse him, you know, because God can change everything. I couldn't go to a university. I got my degrees here in America. But I couldn't go to a university because I was marked. But uh, God changed everything. I was one time in Oxford, England. I visited this little chapel on the university campus where John Wesley and John and Charles Wesley started their Holy Ghost Club with George Whitfield. And I was praying there and I said, God, please help me. Please give my children a better future. Help me that they have good degrees, that they have good, uh, good jobs, that they uh, have an influence into our society and making things better. My daughter is a lawyer. She worked for the EU Parliament. They passed some laws. She wrote them. You know, she worked for the United Nations, for the UN. 
My son, he is a historian. You know, I call them the modern prophets now because they working in fields uh, what changed the society. My, my son, he works in a building right now. He just came back from America. He's a historian and journalist. And uh, he's doing something, uh, did some research for uh, Jewish culture and in, in Germany. And he's living right now in Frankfurt. And he is, has his office in a building from a company called IG Farben. IG Farben was the company that produced the gas for the concentration camps, where they gassed the Jews. So when, uh, when, of course, when war was over, the American government took that building for the headquarter for the U.S. Army in Frankfurt. And uh, a few years ago, uh, the U.S. Army was reduced in Europe, and they uh, uh, gave that building back to the city of Frankfurt. And the city of Frankfurt decided this building was used to destroy the Jews. We will use it to uh, bring justice to the Jewish people. Um, they will use it to... Um, my son, he works right now about the Jewish life in Frankfurt. He's doing research uh, because Frankfurt, Germany, was the highest Jewish population in Europe. It was kind of the, it goes back to the 1400s. And so what they do now is they do researches and bring people to justice who stole their properties, their art, their goods, whatever, and they bring them to justice. They do that research there right now. Why I'm saying this? Because I believe if I would carry a root of bitterness in me, I would be totally unaffected ineffective. You know, God can't use you with that bitterness. God can't use you uh, for his kingdom, and everybody is needed. So, if you agree with me, let us pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. Bless everyone in this room. If you are here, you never made Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now is a good time. I believe Probably everybody is, but if you're here, please raise your hand. Hallelujah. Father, everyone is a Christian. Help us, Holy Spirit. Make us effective for your kingdom. Help us, Holy Spirit. Bless us and help us so that can we can your kingdom prepare us for your coming. Help us, Holy Spirit. Take all the trash out of us so that we become real effective in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. That concludes today's message. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit myoasischurch.com. Thanks for listening.